Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast. We explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, president of Westminster Effects. You can buy our stuff at westminstereffects.com. Make your guitar sound good. You can join in the discussion in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge. It's the only one on Facebook. Uh, you can also support the show at anchor.fm. Even a dollar a month helps us improve and all that kind of good stuff. You can subscribe, comment on Facebook and Instagram. And in the Doxology Podcast Lounge, comment your favorite quote from this episode on the show post and get entered to win a free book at the end of the month. In person, I'm joined by... Hey folks, it's Bradley Cox, pastor at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. And via the interwebs by... Hey everybody, John Ross here, Westminster FX artist, Augsburgian Christian. Um, forgot what else I was going to say from Lincoln, Nebraska, but I had a thing. You had the thing like, and you forgot the well, thing. Well, you know, I sometimes like to... Like you to have in- ruined the show. <laughs> I like to put like little new... I mean, let's be honest. Like, like I didn't have to try that hard if, if that's what happened. Yeah. Uh, I usually like to put, you know, little news blurbs, you know, little little things uh, yeah, yeah. when I'm not, you know, feeling sexy boat captain. But um, <laughs> I... Uh, yeah. You drop the ball. That's all yeah, there is I, to it. I straight. Oh, yeah. I'm. Uh, I'm taking. I, I took this past Sunday off. In the next two weeks, I have off too. From. Uh, from. Well. From. From the. Uh, from the praise squad. Uh, that's squad, not. Huh? That's not what we call ourselves. Good. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> glad to hear that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. Uh, blissfully unguitared for the moment, I suppose. Mm. I don't know. It is. It is interesting. Well, with with uh, Stephen coming on board, mm. we we've, we've basically set it up so that Kristen and I now have the same week off. Mm. Yeah. So when she plays bass, I'm on guitar. Uh, but now, like when I'm off the fourth week of the month. Kristen's all also off the fourth week of the month, and we actually get to go to church together. It's amazing. Mm. They actually sit on the front row and hold hands, John. Yeah, I can see that. As much as yeah. much as Cody is like anti-sentimental, <laughs> he is affectionate with his wife. Yes, which I'm, I'm not, glad because I did their premarital counseling. Yeah, and I want to see. I'm not. I'm not sentimental, but I am a hugger. Like you are a hugger. Things. You are a hugger. So. But if I tell Cody I love him, if I say, hey, love you, bud, he goes, mm. No, I respond. I respond <laughs> adequately. Thank you very much. You know, it's um, just it, it's just the hugs. He wants to feel the warmth around his, around right. his small, sad bones. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't, I'm, I'm just messing with you, dude. I don't have any kind of I don't have any kind of transition to the main topic at this point. <laughs> we're talking about relationships. That's true, but we're talking about how to end them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, continuing off, here's of, how you end them. You tell them, "I need to spend more time with Jesus," and that's <laughs> not it's not you, it's me. Yeah, yep. it's not you, it's me. Um, I feel I need some alone time with the Lord, which really means 
there's somebody else I want to date. And so. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I kicked someone out of a band via email before. So I, I think, uh, yeah, there was one time we kicked a guy out of my band that I was in in college. He was just habitually like he didn't have his own car. So he relied on other people to give him rides. And he was habitually getting there as we were ending band practice. Mm. That, that doesn't mm. work. And uh, so we, we, we kicked him out by meeting at my parents' house and he was late for that, mm. but his ride had already left. And oh, when we no. kicked him out. He just started walking down the road. <laughs> so, <laughs> so awkward. What a sad thing. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was like on arrested development, you know, where, where, uh, George Michael, am I saying that right? Yes. Where he just, uh, like he, you know, slouches over and walks all sad. Oh, man. Does anybody else get that reference? Nobody oh, else. Sorry, I was thinking of the uh, the theme to the Incredible Hulk TV show with Bill Bigsby as he walks away. <laughs> See, that's that's way before my time. So, oh man, you just you got, dated yourself. You, oh man, I did, didn't I? Um, but anyway, God, we are man, all over the felt place. Dead. You guys are too young. Yeah, we're we're all well. My Arrested Development. Maybe I'll put a laugh. Maybe I'll put a laugh track in. There you go. Good. Laugh track. Maybe a go. laugh track. Uh, but anyway, so last week we talked about uh, a mentor that you had, Bradley, mm-hmm. who recently passed, and you you actually mentioned, and we didn't really expound on it, and I thought it would be a good idea to expound on it, mm-hmm. uh, how he kind of started dabbling in some uh, aberrant theology, and you kind of had to distance yourself from him a little bit, and uh, is I kind of wanted to talk about when you know how to do it, when to, and then even the differences between when to distance yourself and when to outright cut someone off and end a, mm-hmm. end a friendship or a relationship, maybe mm-hmm. that's turned toxic or, or what have you. Yeah. Um, I think, I think this is something that uh, a lot of people haven't really, haven't really thought through. And a, a lot of times, you know, people will run themselves into the ground mm-hmm. uh, for the sake of a relationship uh, when maybe that relationship, and and I'm not talking about marriage. <laughs> don't don't go getting divorces because mm-hmm. of what I'm saying right now. But this is talking about non-marital things. Sure. Um. Uh. So, so when to actually know? Eh, maybe I'm I'm going too hard on this or what have you. So. Mm-hmm. Well, a little bit of context. So the mentor that I <clears throat> had that recently passed away. Um, in our relationship, it wasn't like he suddenly, after a few years of us being close, decided to move towards all things word of faith, prosperity, that right. kind of thing. He was always sort of towing in that water. Mm-hmm. What changed was me, because as mm-hmm. I've said okay. on the podcast before, I grew up in the Pentecostal charismatic movement, which gives quarter to the prosperity word of faith movement in a lot of, a lot of areas, right. uh, even with people that might like, this is what's so weird about it is I, I know people that if you pin them down, in fact, you know, yesterday, um, I'm on an advisory council for, um, a, a young man, friend of mine who is planting a church in another state. And he sent me his bylaws and doctrinal statements. Mm. And in those bylaws and doctrinal statements were, just I felt like blatant references that undermine a theology of suffering, um, affirm healing provided for in the atonement, mm-hmm. things of that nature. 
that I wrote to him and questioned him on. And I haven't got a response yet, but what I know about him is that he probably hasn't thought through all of that enough because of the environments that he grew up in. Right. So all that to say, I changed and it all came to a head when I invited this mentor of mine to preach here at Resurrection Church. This would have been circa 2009, 2010. And so 11 years ago-ish. And he spoke, and in his sermon, his sermon was not a prosperity word of faith message, but there were hints of it. There were little things that came through that bothered me while he was teaching. They weren't blatant and outright, but they bothered me. Um, And some other people in the church actually reached out to myself and and the other pastor was here and said, hey, we just felt like this was not quite right or whatever. And so we we prayed about it, you know, heavily prayed about it. And I ended up writing to him a long email explaining why I felt like some of the things that he said were unbiblical. And he was incredibly gracious to me. Um, mm-hmm. It was a bit of agree to disagree kind of thing, but he was, he, I, I wrote to him with as much respect and grace and truth kind of approach as I could possibly um you know, do. And he responded very graciously to me and we kind of agreed to disagree. And there was a, that was a moment where we realized um, some of it was said, some of it may be a little bit unsaid that we weren't going to be as close going forward as we had been. Mm -hmm. I had moved away from something that was almost, again, his ministry was not saturated with prosperity gospel theology. He wasn't slinging his jacket around, knocking people on the floor. No, but (laughs) but the way he talked about giving in particular, um, just, I didn't feel like was, was biblical. And um, so therefore we distanced ourselves at that point. Um, And over the years we would make contact every now and and now again. In fact, um, I don't know, probably just two or three years ago, I happened to cross a clip of one of his sermons on Facebook that was one of the most Jesus-exalting, God-honoring clips of a sermon I'd ever seen. Yeah. And I wrote to him, I texted him, and I just said, you know, Bishop, I called him Bishop, um, this is, this is, the reason why you've had such a huge impact on my life is the way you make much of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that was really true of him. I think he was a few clicks off in his theology uh, in a way that I, I wouldn't dumb down and say wasn't dangerous. Cause I think it was, mm-hmm. but there it, at the heart of that man was a genuine love of Jesus, a man whose prayer life was just something to be admired and, and modeled. Uh, because I witnessed it. I witnessed it when no one else was around. Mm-hmm. And that to me was was what made such a huge impact. But yet, because of the fact that I pastor a church and I'm, I'm responsible for that church, I shepherd a group of people in the body of Christ. I didn't I didn't feel like we could maintain that close mentor mentee relationship that we had had for the better part of 10 years mm. at that point. So I think if if we're talking about when to distance yourself, I think you have to contextualize it. Yep. 
And I think you also have to state it. If, if, if the goal is like my goal was, I did not want to burn a bridge. Mm-hmm. And I think so often, particularly in the culture in which we live, we burn bridges left and right. And sometimes I don't think we have to, I think Tony Miller and I were able to maintain some level of relationship and mutual love and respect, even though we had to part ways. And right. I think that was because we stated clearly to each other what the differences were with grace and with truth and with respect and appreciation for the things that we did agree on. Uh, because again, I think, you know, there are essentials that must be agreed upon if we're going to maintain any kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think we were able to do that, but it takes, it takes putting the relationship at risk sometimes to stay, Hey, this is where I feel like this, you're wrong and help me understand this. And yeah, having that conversation, it is significantly easier. Like, obviously you said you agreed on the essentials. Yes. Stuff like imputed righteousness. Absolutely. Sola gratia, sola fide. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that, <clears throat> Trinitarianism. Uh, yeah, it's just a little important, right? <laughs> just a little bit. Just a little bit. Um, but then once you start getting into those secondary issues, like there's only so far you can go when you don't agree on things like election. Like, yeah, just as an example, if if you believe that election is based on. Uh, nothing that you do, mm-hmm. but entirely on God and eternity past. Uh, when someone else believes that election is based on God looking through the corridors of time and electing those who make a free will decision to follow him, yep. um, you're going to like, that's, that's a pretty big issue to disagree on even within agreeing mm-hmm. on essentials. Well, there's some things that are going to compromise our ability to, continue to minister together. Yes. Yep. Like, you know, there the disagreement over John Mark caused Paul and Barnabas to part ways ministerially for a while. Right. Until there was rec- reconciliation between Paul and John Mark, there there wasn't the the opportunity for Paul and Barnabas to go on that second missionary journey was compromised. Right. Um, and so I think we have to be, that's biblical and it happens and God uses it. God, God caused, uh, Paul and Barnabas to split ways. Barnabas took John Mark, Paul took Silas and more ministry took place, even resulting over a disagreement. Again, not a doctrinal thing, but there was, there was something that compromised them being able to minister together at that time. Right. And I think it's not a one-to-one, but I think uh, leaving my church before res, mm-hmm. uh, where they were a more seeker sensitive kind of thing. And, and I had been reforming more and more. Mm-hmm. I had entered the cage stage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I may, may or may not still be in it. Uh, that's another discussion for another time. Uh, but the, the straw that broke the camel's back for me was when the pastor was insistent that we cover a Katy Perry song to start a service. Mm-hmm. And, and basically it came down to me saying, I'm not going to waste my time on that. Mm-hmm. And did some Googling found res. Like I didn't want to just bail and not have somewhere to go. Right. And my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, uh, and I had a, 
we we had basically said, okay, I'm going to talk to the pastor, let him know we're out. Mm. And uh, I had neglected <laughs> that responsibility. Mm. And she let it slip to the pastor's wife mm. before I had talked to him. So he called me and he was not happy about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and understandably so. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I didn't handle that totally right. But I think the decision... Uh, in terms of convictions was correct. And, but then even on top of that, like that church doesn't exist anymore, mm-hmm. uh, even, even just six, seven years later. And so I would have ended up uh, ecclesiologically homeless. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like what you were saying, like God used that. Like mm-hmm. I actually have a church home and I enjoy it here, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And uh, yeah. So anyway, you know, I had a kind of a different situation. I had a, I have a friend who was a huge mentor to me as a worship leader, uh, almost like a big brother to me in all things leading worship. And over the years, uh, he's he's a bit older than me. He's about ten years older than me. But over the years, he and I have had countless conversations where we've sort of aired our grievances to each other mm-hmm. about organized church, right? I mean, everybody has those discussions at times where we just go, man, you know, we just get it wrong too many times. And so he and I, because, you know, we toured together. And so we would see all kinds of churches, all kinds of expressions of worship and, and even all kinds of different theological nuances. Mm -hmm. And so we would weigh that and debate that and have these conversations. And in the last Five years, he has abandoned Orthodox Christianity. Mm. He has abandoned living totally under the authority of Scripture, and he hasn't been to church at all in three years. Mm. And about, I don't know, a couple years ago, he tried to engage with me in the same kind of conversations that we had 10 years ago. And I had to tell him, I, I had to say to him, look, because when I would try to bring up scripture, when I would try to reference the truth of God's word in our discussion, he would resist that. In fact, he would even became hostile towards it at times. And I had to tell him, look, you and I once shared a common foundation in these kinds of discussions that we no longer share. Yep. And so therefore, I'm not going to be able to engage with you in the same way that I have before. That doesn't mean that we can't be friends. Yep. And one of the things that Tony Miller, who just died, I heard him say a million times was, I can still be your friend as long as you don't force me to agree with you. Mm-hmm. And I felt like this other guy was trying to force me to acknowledge or validate some of his questions about the authority of the Bible, the inerrancy of Scripture. And I'm like, I'm not going there, bud. You know, right. if you want if you want to uh, have discussions, then we're going to have to acknowledge that we no longer share a common ground when it comes to the authority mm-hmm. of God's word, and that's going to limit mm-hmm. how much how deep we can go in these conversations. And I think you just you got to be honest with people and do it with grace and truth. And my my desire, and I and it's proven to be true over the last couple of years. I haven't burnt a bridge with that guy either. Um, we continue to have interaction and be friends, but there's a limit right. to, to how deep it can go. Right. 
You know, I'm uh, I'm reminded of a, a couple different things. One is uh, is is just scripture, Cody. When you were talking about uh, that uh, that the church that you parted ways with before you ended up at Res, and uh, and and how that organization is is no longer around. Uh, first thing that hit my head was uh, you know do not store up for yourself on earth uh, you know the things of earth uh, where moth mm-hmm. and rust destroy. Uh, and thieves break in and steal, but store for yourself treasures in heaven. Uh, when we become so focused on the next new thing, on the next uh, pop culture, what have you, uh, as as almost like a marketing tool, that that becomes so much more important than than the scripture, uh, which you may intend it to uh uh to be a metaphor or an allegory for uh i don't think it's uncommon that uh when as a church you start embracing more fleeting and fleeting things and shift your focus towards those things away from scripture away from the foundation of the gospel then your ministry as well becomes fleeting. I, I don't think that's a that's an exclusive thing uh, to uh, the church you parted ways with. Mm. Uh, just a just a thought. Um, you know, we. Uh, sorry, he takes a sip not from the Westminster effects. No, that's Goodbye. upstairs. I uh, that's probably still covered in hot chocolate from yesterday from the picture I sent you. Yeah. Um, and no. Uh, you know, I had a, initially a, a bit of a a bit of a difficult time um, thinking of of a personal example of of you know, cutting ties or distancing, uh, and, and it's probably because I, I've been somewhat reserved, uh, at least on the show, about talking about it because you know we our our audience is is not limited. Um, I, we, we don't in general, uh, censor, uh, situations, although we do, uh, uh, add some anonymity, uh, in to protect the consciences of those who we may be talking about, but we haven't really, um, necessarily spoken, um, about, uh, the, the exit of, of one of our, uh, volunteers that helped with worship team. Mm-hmm. Uh, about a year and a half, two years ago at this point. Um, you know, long-time listeners of the show would, would remember when uh, our full-time uh, worship leader uh, had, had taken a position in Chicago. And after that, uh, there was a, I, I called it the triumvirate. Um, there were three of us. Uh one uh, was handling kind of uh, scheduling and logistics. Um, uh, the other was myself uh, handling uh, music technology, kind of music direction, band stuff. And the other was uh, um, uh, probably a, two out of the four Sundays as the worship leader role, the the front man, if you will. And, you know, it began so well. 
young, young guy, young guy. And always, always had an interesting relationship uh, with him. You know, when, when you're younger, um, some insecurities or uh, um, come out in different ways, depending on your personality. And in this particular individual, it, it came out as uh, uh, a, a more than healthy dose of confidence um, in many areas where, where it probably wasn't helpful to have confidence, but you know, that was okay. You can walk through that, work with that, build them up. Um, and there was a time that, you know, I, I saw him growing. I saw him growing, uh, musically, which, which was, uh, oddly enough was a, uh, it was a struggle for him, uh, being musically uh, consummate, both as a vocalist and a musician, is is something that he was not there yet. But he had, uh, but he had passion, he had charisma, um, which was something that originally uh, kind of uh, made him attractive for this role, right? And throughout the first number of months working closely together, he would build others up, uh, share uh, compliments, and uh, put out invitations to how can I help. I mean, just really being a supportive individual. And it wasn't until things started to go in a direction he didn't want. And, and the direction that he really wanted was that he wanted to be uh, the new uh, worship leader. He wanted to be the 100% full-time worship leader, band leader, whatever. And things weren't going that way. Things, things looked like they were going in a direction of that, this, this partnership, this, you know, uh, where we each have our own responsibilities. Maybe he'd be two weeks on and, and two weeks off, and then myself and the other guy would would take those weeks. Uh, that, that's that's not what he wanted to see, um, but it looked like that is where it was going to go. Well, at that point, things started to decompose rapidly, um, and it was never anything that was directly said. It was never. Uh, it was never communicated clearly, but always and only in action and an attitude, uh, kind of uh, backhanded comments and and things like that, where it really made us wonder if that growth we had seen was a fabrication, mm. and. <laughs> It, it came to the point where uh, this individual was was sharing uh, plans to eventually exit the church with some, but withholding those those uh, those plans from our from our pastor. Uh, well, those 
as they do, um, out of care for the church and the congregation and the organization and leadership, those, those plans made their way through the grapevine to the pastor indirectly. And, uh, and he approached this individual, um, and one of his family members who was also, uh, serving in the group at the time and asked him verbatim, uh, what's this I hear about you planning to, to leave the church? Uh, because what it turned out being is, is it looked like they were planning on, uh, you know, doing a set list that was all of their favorites. And this was, you know, completely in a silo, this decision, but doing a, a set list that was all their favorites. And then, uh, saying something, uh, you know, on mic, and then that, that would be it. But they, they were confronted with this and, and, uh, they, they lied. They, they denied it to the pastor. And at this point, uh, pastor had, you know, documentation and, and things about the conversations that had happened. And, uh, you know, it, it really came to a point that really cemented that a lot of that growth that we've seen uh, was just kind of a continuation of deception that, uh, that had been present in, in our dealings with this individual uh, to the end, or, or at least the, the planned end that this individual would would be the main the main guy uh, and you know perhaps what this ends up being is is an example of of how even when you're called out how not to do it yeah yeah you see when uh, really what it amounted to is is pastor made a, 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 a call, not a phone call, but he, he made a judgment call and said, unfortunately, you know, because, you know, you've chosen this route of, of deception, uh, you know, you're no longer qualified, so to speak, to serve yeah. on, bless you. Uh, you're no longer qualified to serve on, on the team. Hmm. Uh, and at that point, this individual, um, his family member in, in the group as well, uh, which was caught up in this and his f- family and extended family who were members of the congregation promptly, uh, cut ties immediately mm. and, and left. Uh, and it didn't stop there. Uh, numerous people, uh, in the band. Love you. My wife's love you too. My wife's leaving me. I mean, she'll be she'll be back in a couple hours. It's all right. Oh, I thought you were saying that you love me. I'm sorry. I mean, I do, Bradley. <laughs> I do. And I love you. And I love you, Cody. Small, cold bones, and all. I don't know why that that just that that was all my heart this morning. Uh, but uh, you know, it it didn't stop with that. Um, after that, there was there was so much anger and and vitriol and uh, just from from that situation (coughs) excuse me that they that there seemed to be some some work to uh 
to share their side of the story, so to speak, uh, which seem to be through rose colored lenses, uh, with, uh, with other people in the congregation and, and, and misrepresent what had happened. And, uh, and there were many people who were, who were in, uh, the band, uh, completely, uh, completely removed from this situation. Uh, I mean, people were unfriended on Facebook and unfollowed on Instagram blocked on social media, mm. uh, because of their, their adjunct relationship to people who were involved in the situation. Mm. And there, there was some work, uh, some efforts, uh, to, to go towards reconciliation. Um, that that I don't have much insight to. That's more of a pastoral care uh, sort of piece. But you know what it amounts to is is we had a, is there was a situation that an individual was an individual was called out that that Matthew eighteen was enacted that we brought it to him and it was denied that. It, it it took something that could have been a great opportunity for care and shepherding, and, uh, and instead it brewed anger and uh, and what really uh, really felt like hatred. Mm. And uh, you know that that really caused a a pretty significant tone change in the way the band operated for, for a good a long time. Uh, because there's a lot of this stuff that, you know, certain members of the band have never even, um, we, we've, we've not talked about this, uh, at least in, in clarity. And this is probably, if any of them listens, um, there are some people that this is probably the most, uh, transparent that they've, they've heard this. Um, and of course I have, my side of the story, uh, which, which I trust because of my relationship with the pastor and what I've seen, I, I trust it to be at least mostly accurate, but, um, just such a terrible way to, to end, a, a you know, a family's history in, in our body of believers. Um, and, I do, you know, I do wish it could have gone differently, but I, you know, I don't regret what's happened because I feel that there's growth that's come out of that. But, you know, Bradley, you mentioned that you tried so hard not to burn bridges in in any of these, uh, these situations, but unfortunately that's exactly what, you know, this, you know, these, these folks decided to do in this case. And it's been hurtful for many like, I don't think a lot of people think about that. It's like, well, I'm going to cut ties and it's going to be done. I'm fed up with this. But they don't, they don't see the impact of that decision beyond their immediate situation. And uh, maybe that's something we can take to heart. Well, you know, along the lines of burning bridges or not, um, within the body of Christ, uh, and, you know, you guys and our listeners can take what I'm about to say for a test drive. But within the body of Christ, I don't think there's any reason for us to 
burn bridges and lose a sen- at least some sense of unity altogether uh, on the basis of disagreement. Mm-hmm. Because re- unity in the body of Christ is predicated upon truth, truthfulness, humility, um, and putting the interest of others ahead of our own, all of which flow from our shared life in Christ. Right. And it's only when those things get compromised that bridges get burned in the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And if you go and read Ephesians 4, Paul is essentially saying, we don't, we don't relate to one another like the Gentiles do or like the ungodly. Mm-hmm. Right. We we relate to each other by and in the context of our relating to each other, we put away falsehood. We do honest labor. We don't steal. Uh, you know, he goes through this list of things that aren't really instructions. They're just this is what is true in the body of Christ is that we're people who are truthful. We are people who are humble and we are people who put the interest of others ahead of our own. And then he makes this statement and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the Holy Spirit, on top of all these, you know, this, you know, these shared characteristics is the power and working of the person of God, the Holy Spirit in all of us to continue to live in a sense of shared humility, a shared truth and truthfulness, and putting the interest of others ahead of my, of our own um, via or with the help of the Holy Spirit. It, but in, in a situation like you're describing, John, what happens is truth and truthfulness gets compromised, humility gets compromised, putting the interest of others ahead of my own gets compromised, and then what happens? Bridges get burned. And all of those things happen when we grieve the Holy Spirit, which you know, grieving the Holy Holy Spirit is the opposite of depending on Him. It's the opposite of leaning into Him and, mm-hmm. you know, receiving and giving ourselves over to the supernatural help that He provides in our relationships within the body of Christ. Um, and I think if, you know, it, we, we could sit here all day talking about specific examples and the different nuances that are a part of those examples in our lives of where relationships get tested and unity was or was not maintained. Um, But I think if we start there, like I I would encourage any listener um, to, if you are struggling in a relationship, if there's um, something has put the relationship at risk for whatever reason, live in Ephesians 4 and pray and ask God the Holy Spirit to help you walk in truthfulness, walk in humility, and put the interest of the other ahead of your own without compromising, obviously, it, it, you know, it's really overstating, without compromising the truth of mm-hmm. Scripture, right? It's, it's like we, 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 we live and walk and relate to one another in the body of Christ and all those things with the help of the Holy Spirit. Um, grounded in the Word of God, so uh, I, I think it's I think it's it should be our expectation more often than not that even when there are, and this is how Luke describes the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, when there are sharp disagreements, mm-hmm. that we do not burn bridges. 
right? Uh, yep. Even when there are sharp disagreements, because we have this shared life in Christ. Yep. Good stuff. Shall we move on to the Inquisition? Sure. And we come to the Inquisition where you, the listener, contribute to the show. Oh, goodness. Sorry. I'm burping up coffee into the microphone while we're recording. I am just a radio professional here. Uh, (laughs) But anyway, as is tradition, we start with Brian Morris. And these first two questions, uh, I'm going to feel like Bradley when we talk about guitar gear for these first couple of questions. Yeah. Just, I won't just know. take just take a back seat, man. Yeah, I'm just gonna take a back seat. Brian Morris asks, what should I name my next child? And I don't know if he's telling us that he's knocked up his wife again. <laughs> <laughs> but he has oh asked uh the uh the triumvirate of us three for wisdom name. on what he should name his next kid. You know, I was thinking just the other day, if I had another boy, I'd name him Titus. I mm. like the name. I like the name Titus. It's a strong name. It is a strong name. Yeah. We're actually just working through Titus in, in our uh, in our elders Bible study last night. So yeah, that's uh, definitely front of mind uh, for me. I started doing some uh, some scriptural journaling uh, along with it. And so yeah, that would be Good. certainly fitting. Um you know, if you wanted to go, uh, you wanted to go biblical. I think Titus is is definitely a, a strong choice. Um, obviously, uh, Jonathan uh, being a, a friend to David, son of King Saul, uh, would be a, a strong choice. If uh, if I do say so, uh, perhaps Curtis or even Ross, Jonathan Curtis or Ross, one of those three. I mean, all are perfect first name choices. I mean, really. I mean, you've got the biblical piece. You know, you got Ross. You got a bit of pop culture uh, emphasis there. You know, say, oh yeah, you liked Friends when you were younger. And then you know, Curtis is just it, it just rolls off the tongue. It, it has a certain amount of gravitas to it. So none um, of none of your answers were in any way biased. Absolutely not. at all. No, absolutely not. No. So. Next question. Kyle Jackson asks, uh, for the two dads on the podcast, what advice do you give for someone who is starting a family? And Kyle did clarify that he had not indeed knocked up his wife, but they were, uh, they were in the planning stages for making this thing happen. They're, they're in the practicing phase. I don't have a clue. I'm just going to take a back seat. You fellers take it. It's interesting. The, <laughs> Well, I'm not going to say that, but I will say this. <laughs> um, be prepared. If you're about to start a family, be prepared for every last ounce of selfishness in your bones to be wrung out. Mm, um, at 100%. Yeah. Because yeah. that, that is the transition to parenthood, mm. is that you really don't realize how much attention you give to yourself when yeah. you are no longer able to give attention to yourself. <laughs> you know, uh, back in the days when I, when my son was born, I shaved every day pretty much. And I remember like the Sunday after my son was born driving to church on a Sunday morning and having a panic because I had not shaved. And I called my dad and asked him to bring an electric razor, um, because it, I just, I was so tired and so wrung out and so like 
you're constantly focused on the next diaper, the next nap, the next feeding, the next trip to, you know, the store to get whatever baby supply you might need. It's just every last ounce of selfishness is going to get wrung out and it is wonderful. So, so effectively whatever selfishness that hasn't been wrung out by being married in the first place, exactly increase Mm -hmm. that exponentially. You know, I, I see, uh, I see a lot of uh, a lot of our our friends, and, and they're usually usually younger. I think a lot of our closer friends, at least closer in age, um, all have uh, all have uh, families with children, and, and the majority have have three, which is what we have. And and uh, uh, you know, there's still um, a sizable amount of uh, uh, you know for these for these families without children, these these couples that. You know they they spend their time together, and that's you know that's wonderful, and then uh, you know that's a piece of encouragement by itself. Is uh, is is as you move into growing a family, don't forget about your investment in one another uh, totally with oh, with yeah. your wife, with your husband. Yeah. Yep. Um. You know that's something that Kelly and I struggle with. I mean, we sometimes it feels like we, you know, we catch ourselves coming and going. You know, we're we're so busy. Like you know, last night. Um, you know, I, I leave at three to go to the school to pick the kids up. Um, I, I took Micah to, to swim team. Then Malik and I went to the grocery store because we hadn't gone grocery shopping yet this week because we were busy this weekend. And then we go, we do that. We go back, we get Micah, we rush home. I cook dinner. He finishes the homework. We eat, we go to scouts. I take him, I get him. I would take him back home and I go right back to church for elders. I come back home, forgot I needed to get the chocolates for Sayla's preschool's teacher's uh, birthday and Valentine's Day celebration. They said, go back to CVS with 15 minutes before they close and then come back. And I'm like, well, I'm going to bed. You know, uh, that, that just kept escalating. Yeah. You know, and, and, and there, there wasn't a shred of that. That was, that was bad. You know, that was my prayer request at, at, at elders last night was, you know, let me be, let me rejoice in the busyness. Amen. You yeah. know, like that, that I'm not able to, I mean, you know, I, I've got uh, this, this computer that I, that I'm on right now. Um, you know, back in, back in my younger days, you know, I, I, I built it mostly so that Micah could play Star Wars Battlefront on it. But in my younger days... Nice. You know, that's that would be my thing. My Steam library, if I were to sell it, would be worth thousands. And <laughs> I don't touch it. And I'm so thankful that I don't touch it. Mm. Because, you know, it, it pulls me out of things. It, it pulls me out of the moment. It pulls me out of presence. And... And we all we all have things that that we struggle with, whether it be uh, Facebook or or the news or solitaire on your phone or or a television show. And none of those things are bad in moderation. But no matter how young a, a child may be, how old they may be, how many you or or few you may have, you know, in the midst of the busyness, make sure that you appreciate yeah. the busyness that your children's lives are being enriched by what's going on that you yourself in your vocation as parent uh, Lutheran points there uh, as (laughs) uh, you know, as your vocation as parent are, are building them up as, uh, as, as a, whether it be a, a citizen or, or a leader or as a good steward 
of of the the temple of Christ that is that is their body uh, through through sports and through exercise. You know, so many things that we just say, oh, this is another thing to do. But we often lose the, the sight of why we did them in the first place. And it could be something as simple as my kid wanted to do this, so now I got to do this every day. Mm-hmm. And maybe they don't thank you every day, but look at just look at the difference that that stuff makes on their lives. So that and and continue the investment with with your partner. Also, a diaper and wipes subscription is mm-hmm. uh, is, is probably wise. <laughs> also, don't do cloth diapers. I was about to say. Someone in your life is going to say, dude, you need to do cloth diapers. It's so much more natural. You don't have to buy diapers. You just wash. Don't. Negative. Because right. what you're going to end up have, having is you're going to have a, like, like a vegetable sprayer from your sink. That's going to hook up to the water line on your toilet. And you're going to get the <laughs> stupid plastic guard that goes in the toilet. There's a little clipboard clamp on it. You're going to put no. this crap filled diaper on it. And you're going to spray it out. And your bathroom is going to stink. Even if you don't spray poo everywhere, which is going to happen, I guarantee you. And then you have to wash it and you're washing laundry every day. You're washing crap in your washing machine with the rest. I mean, the same thing, the rest of your clothes going every day and you can't use bleach and you can't use Tide because you got to use the special stuff because it goes on baby's butt and you can't use fabric softener. So it's going to get rough unless you got the really expensive, non-colored, non-odored, non-whatever detergent. Just just freaking buy Huggies and be done with it. Amen. I am currently horrified. Yeah. (laughs) Just commit to overfilling the landfills with diapers. It's just got to happen. It's fine. It's fine. They'll turn it into a golf course. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. (laughs) So so our our next uh, question comes from uh, the great white north known as Canada. Uh, Von Scott asks, if we miss having Donald J. Trump as the president. Oh, my goodness. Yes, in some ways. In it some was, ways. It was entertaining. <laughs> Bradley taking the Saturday Night Live approach. Yeah, yeah. I don't miss Donald Trump himself. Uh, like, he, he is a toxic person. Yes. I don't miss people freaking out about him every, literally every day. Yeah. Um, I don't miss a lot of his policies surrounding like fiscal type stuff. He was not, he did not govern as a conservative uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, the guy really had no ideological core. It was just kind of like whatever he felt like doing. And it happened that we got some good judges out of that. So I do miss mm-hmm. the judge appointments. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh but other than that, not really. That doesn't mean that I'm happy about Biden. I'm not happy that Biden is president. No. Um, but that's one of the reasons I'm glad that we have uh, federalism and mm-hmm. checks and balances. You yeah, know, that, I think I think that you. It, it, I am not happy about Biden. I'm not happy about some of the things that he's already doing. Yep. Um, I'm I'm terribly unhappy about some of the things he's already doing, but. I, I do think that there there is like this um, I don't know this toxicity that comes from just lacking the ability to be a decent human being mm-hmm. on a consistent basis in front of the world, right? I mean, 
there's there's no way no getting around the fact that the president of the United States in the modern world has to govern and lead on television, on Twitter, on Facebook, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and if you can't be a decent human being and conduct yourself accordingly, um, it really doesn't matter how much good you get accomplished. Um, it's, you know, I, I had someone liken the presidency to when they were really, I guess, trying to defend um, voting for someone like Trump or whatever. Mm-hmm. And said, you know, if I if I hire a plumber, I really don't care, you know, what kind of language he do, uses or, right. um, you know, what what his what his theology is on this and that, and even whether or not he's saved. I just want him to be able to fix my toilet, right? Mm. And so I elect a president who just does good things. I don't think that quite works mm-hmm. because a president has to not only be able to execute good policy and lead well, uh, be a CEO type for our nation, he also has to be a decent human being who represents the ideologies of America and, and, and what it means to conduct yourself as a good citizen. Um, that Trump just wasn't able to do that. And so I, I think in my opinion, that will mar his presidency historically, Mm -hmm. uh, and overshadow most of the good that he accomplished yeah, for a long time. I would agree. Yeah. You know, I, same here. You know, I, I think one thing that, uh, that many people outside of the United States may, may not grasp um, is that, you know, and, and it's by fault of our two party system is, is it feels binary uh, to people from the outside. It certainly feels binary for people on the inside where yeah. if, you know, if someone asks, are you happy Trump is gone? I'm like, Personally, yeah. Does that imply that I'm happy that that Biden is is president? No, not necessarily. Um, and, and Bradley, for the exact same reasons that uh, that uh, you're uh, you're pleased or, or or whatever word we choose to use that uh, that Trump is now in uh, presidential retirement. Um, you know, I I resonate with those. Uh, and, and even above the decent human being part is that something that always rubs me the wrong way is like, is like just vagrant fanaticism. And I think that's the reason why, like, I just, mm. I don't connect with like sports on the same level that other people do. I love <laughs> watching sports. I, I love watching the event, right? But th- the fanaticism around it, like, I have no problem with the Nebraska Cornhuskers, whatever, but nobody else does either because they <laughs> suck. Well, but <laughs> you, 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 I mean, no one around here will say that, uh, but it, it's it, it for, for a lot of these people, it turns into a way of life, you know, uh, and it, it turns into something that that's all encompassing. And, and when something uh, overpasses, or, or overtakes the things that actually matter. I mean, that really rubs me the wrong way. And it did the same thing with Trump's presidency. I mean, shoot, my, my brother-in-law uh, was, was a MAGA boy, uh, not a proud boy, thankfully. So he's not in jail or anything, but, um, a, but like when your, your fanaticism uh, or your, uh, 
I don't know, discipleship, I suppose, could be used in some cases. Ooh, uh, yeah. Following an individual overtakes even good citizenship. Mm-hmm. Yep. I completely lose it. Like, yeah, I can't, I, I well, can't what, reconcile that. That's what always leads to any form of extremism. Mm. Is, is when the focus becomes on a figure, a person, rather than society as a whole. It's it's always going to lead to extremism, um, ex, you know. Except in uh, uh, Christianity, where our focus is on the person of Christ, because He is in Him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So there's only one being that's worthy of that kind of focus and attention uh, that would lead to all things good and right. And, you know, I said, I said the other Sunday, what, what was I teaching? Um, my, was I still in first Peter when I said, you know, if it, democracy is the best option uh, because of all forms of human government, because like C.S. Lewis said, he said that Aristotle, I think it was, said that, you know, some men are born to be slaves. Mm -hmm. And C.S. Lewis said, I don't disagree with him um, because I see no men fit to be masters. Mm. And, and he was arguing for democracy when he, when he said that. And so democracy is the best form of human government in a fallen world. But could, if there could be one, a king who could be trusted completely to be good and righteous and holy all the time. We would be fools to choose democracy over monarchy. Right. right. Uh, but in the world in which we live, and it's why our democratic republic, I think, is, is absolutely the best thing that's happened in human history in terms of human government. It does have within it an inherent system to remove those who would try to become the focal point. Yep. The presidency was never meant to be the focal point and uh, because it would lead to extremism. Yep. Um, so I'm, I'm glad more than I'm sad that he's out of office. Mm. Last question. I'll keep this one anonymous just in case. Uh, he says, I am currently in the dilemma where a couple in our church in their early 20s has two kids under the age of two and they're living together. They're not married. Uh, the mom was a member before moving in with the boyfriend and after getting pregnant. And now they want to do a child dedication. So yes or no to that. He said, I'm opposed to them living together in obvious sin, but conflicted because we want to pull that family to what he says is real faith to support their kids into becoming believers. Uh, the mom's parents are super faithful believers and also torn. So effectively what you have is unmarried couple, living in sin, a uh, couple of kids, and they want to do a baby dedication. Uh, so, Pastor Bradley, yes or no to that? No. Yeah. No. I mean, because a baby dedication, in, 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 and John may not really identify with this, I mean, you know, in a, um, uh, a, a credo-baptist church, right, we do, we do baby dedications, which for all intents and purposes are parental dedications. Right. Um, we, yes, we want to pray over the child and bless the child. Uh, but for all intents and purposes, that is a public confession of mom and dad to raise this child in a Christian home 
in a God-honoring home, point them to the scriptures, yep. bring them to the house of worship, uh, raise them as a f- disciple and follower of Jesus, knowing, and this is acknowledged when I do a baby dedication, knowing that it must be the work of God right. to take out the heart of stone and put in the heart of flesh in that child. And then we, in our tradition, would celebrate that with you know believers' baptism when that child comes of age. Um, so you, the essence of a, what we call typically a baby dedication is compromised because these two parents are not living in a God honoring relationship at this point. And so I I would, they're not even in covenant. They're not in covenant at all. They have children, but they're not in marital covenant. And so I would have to have a conversation with them about Mm -hmm. that's not, it doesn't have to be point the finger at them and go, you're in sin. I'm not going to do this for your child. Mm -hmm. The conversation I would have with them would start with, let me talk to you about what a quote unquote dedication is. Yeah. Let's have a conversation about what we are actually doing and where we root that in scripture, what this is all about uh, so that you can see it really wouldn't make sense for us to do this because this is more uh, this dedication would be more about you than it would be about your child. And so if you're willing to be discipled and disciplined and Mm -hmm. and helped and guided um, through this, I think we could get to the point where fairly quickly we could do a dedication and we could do it in faith. We could do it if, if, if they are willing to go through some repentance Yep. And some shoring up of this relationship, um, entering into covenant. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's some thing, there's some prep work that mom and dad needs to do in order to do that well. And I, I think that's where I would go with it. And, and John, from a Lutheran perspective, you would be more talking about would you baptize that kid in your church? You know, it, it, yes. You know that that would be the that would be the 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 specificity of it, but you know, that actually builds on, uh, Bradley, what, what you just spoke of. I mean, everything you said, uh, happens in a, uh, uh, in a, in a Lutheran pedo Baptist, uh, uh, event. Um, the, uh, the majority of everything is directed towards the parents and the sponsors as far as raising uh, raising this child, teaching them the scriptures, teaching them the Ten Commandments and the Apostles' Creed, uh, you know, mm-hmm. raising them up in the church, uh, and the sponsors being there to aid the family in that, and should something happen to the family, to, to then own that responsibility. All that stuff's the same. Mm-hmm. What right. makes things what what adds a little bit more complexity is in the nature of uh, of what uh, we uh, Lutheran types call the sacramental mystery. Uh, we, in general, we see that there's a, a promise for uh, baptism uh, to to be a a means of grace for this individual, and so. When a child is brought to the waters of baptism, it's it's not it's not something as simple as just looking at the at the parents and the sponsors. And like, is this a responsibility that they can legitimately, faithfully execute? It's also taking a look at our own theology and being uh, and, and being very critical on 
should we withhold, so to speak, the sacrament of baptism from this individual or these individuals because their parents are are living in in sin, living contrary uh, to the doctrines of Scripture, and I honestly think that the that the really what comes out of that would be the same. Those conversations, those those uh, uh, those attempts for for marital covenantal unity uh, to mm-hmm. to reconcile this the the sin that's that's in the midst of this relationship. Um, you know, not having a pastoral role in one of these situations before, I, I you know, I honestly can't give uh, my, uh, uh, you know, this is what I I would do, um, you know, and, and I'm often I'm often conflicted of of you know because if we look back through scripture, the the references uh, towards uh, towards infant baptism are really rather vague, and and, and they're they're in the in in the uh, uh, the flavor of whole households. This promises for you and your children. As I think we we get from Peter, mm-hmm. and uh, and those pieces are where we get kind of the audience, so to speak, for, for the baptismal, uh, event. Um, I, you know, I have a hard time with, uh, um, with, with vague scriptural pieces, even, even the chunk of the Lord's creed, the dissensus, the, the descent into mm-hmm. hell. Um, and, and, and what we're really confessing as, as a people, not, not just me personally, but, you know, everything done in worship is, is not only, uh, you know, it's not only done in adoration of God most high. It's also done, uh, ecclesiastic, ecclesiastically, meaning that, that it's something that we, we use to teach and to Mm -hmm. instruct. And, and so those, those two things I kind of flounder on if, if I'm honest, um, but my tradition tells me that yes, something happens in baptism because the word of God is in baptism. Go and baptize all, you know, baptize disciples, uh, bat, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the Father, Son, and the Spirit, teaching them everything I've commanded you. And baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, my tradition tells me that something happens there. And if that is accurate, then the question really becomes, are we being a good steward of our responsibilities as congregational leaders, as pastors, as overseers to withhold the sacrament of baptism uh, from a child because of the sins of the parents? I don't, I I haven't been able to reconcile that in, in my head. Uh, yeah. Really, but, but either either way, like even if like this person might be asking, well, no, they're asking about a dedication, not a baptism. Right. So yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. They, they they're, but regardless um, of the church tradition, this is an opportunity to disciple this family, and I think that the the conversation it kind of brings this whole episode full circle. Is you need to have a conversation with them, and you need to talk with them about, look, there's obviously some desire in these parents to uh, 
really attend to the spiritual well-being of this child. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So there's your basis mm-hmm. to launch into the discussion and say, hey, let's not do this halfway. Let's go all the way. Right. Let's let's get you into some premarital counseling and and work towards marriage and a, and a baby dedication. And, you know, I could see that happening within the context of a year, you know, and yep. and and. Why, why would we think that that's too much to ask? You know, I've, I've started pre my, typically my premarital counseling sessions are total about four or five sessions with a couple, but I've had multiple couples, no less than four or five where I've extended those out over a year mm. because of what's going on. And we've put off wedding dates and we've, because I think in the context of marriage, and parenting in particular, and the family, the church has a huge opportunity to disciple in a deep, intimate level. I feel like more so even maybe than my preaching, Mary and I's investment in couples in premarital counseling is some is where we've seen some of the most fruit in 22 years of ministry. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I would say to this person, if, if they're a pastor or leader in the church or whatever, this is a great opportunity. Don't see this as a, oh, no, what do we do? We've got an incredible opportunity here to mm-hmm. disciple yeah, this couple. Absolutely. Agreed. Awesome. Well, let's leave it there. Remember, post your favorite quote in the, in the post, in the, in the group. We gave you a lot of material today. <laughs> <laughs> so go do that. For John and Bradley, I'm Cody. Go subscribe. Thanks for listening.